This program is brought to you by the Washington State Veterinary Medical Association, the professional community of veterinarians dedicated to advancing the cause of veterinary medicine to better the lives of those touched by it. Useful resources and enhance well-being in veterinary medicine. Welcome to Ready Vet Go, Living Your Best Veterinary Life, a project developed by the 2018-19 WSVMA Power of 10 Leadership Class. This series is designed to inspire conversation, provide the WSVMA Power of 10 Leadership Academy is an initiative designed to help recent graduates develop foundational skills in leadership, communication, and business. My guest is Dr. Marguerite Papayuanu. She is currently an affiliate professor with the University of Washington School of Public Health. And throughout her accomplished career, she has served in a variety of leadership capacities, including over 20 years with the CDC as an epidemiologist, working with close-knit teams on a variety of projects, including some pretty exciting stuff like providing leadership and coordinating the CDC's response to outbreaks of diseases such as SARS, monkeypox, and highly pathogenic avian influenza. Thank you so much for being with us today. So my name is Dr. Jen Stonequist, and I'll be your host today. And we'll be discussing how to maintain an effective leadership role while working within a close-knit team. So the topic came up as an area of interest because many vet practices have close team members. Some may be friends outside of work, and veterinarians can often find themselves in situations where they are wearing two different hats at the same time let's say like a friend and a boss. So we don't get very much formal training and education on how to be effective leaders, especially in this intricately woven situation. Thought it'd be interesting to just kind of hear a little bit about your career and how your role in leadership has developed over the years. Sure. Um, well, you know, I uh, we were just talking a little bit before we started about yeah. the big changes in veterinary medicine yeah. over the years. and. So at the time I went through uh, veterinary school, that was 10% of classes were women. So yeah. the vast majority of graduating veterinarians as well as the profession were men. And you know that created an environment very different than, thank goodness, that yeah. uh, what, uh, how the profession has evolved through today. But I think um, uh, relative to what we're talking about, one of the very first things that happened to me was out of veterinary school and I practiced. I got a job in California at a veterinary practice mm. as an associate veterinarian. And so right after graduation from veterinary school, went from Michigan State, I flew out to California. This was in Redwood City in a small veterinary practice. Mm. And there were uh, two or three. There weren't, this was before the time of formal veterinary technicians. Yeah. But there were so there were two or three people though that were working as technicians and um and I learned very early on <laughs> uh what not to do. <laughs> and uh because uh uh several and uh, to the point of uh several of the women, these were uh women, uh, you know, I practiced for 3 years. They were my age. I mm. was very young. I graduated uh, from veterinary school when I was 23 years old. Wow. So I was out, and there I was, the veterinarian. Uh, I was an associate. I wasn't the practice owner. Mm. But, you know, I was there, and the owner, we would trade being on and off. And uh, so the, the these uh, technicians would be helping me. And I remember we had one animal that was, in trouble and I was trying to get everybody to uh, act quickly yeah and I was used to veterinary school where the clinicians would you know just say do this do that do that and everybody would jump through hoops ten times over to do things very fast right. well in this environment I would say oh you know could you do this and that and nothing would happen and I snapped my fingers and I said um, we really have to uh, move quickly here. And I said, you know, please, you know, hand me, I for, even forget what it was, hand me something, and I snapped my yeah. finger. 
And this person who was my, and we were friends, yeah. had become friends, as well as this professional relationship. And she shared with me later, she said, Marguerite, don't you ever snap your fingers at me again. Oh, wow. And um, uh, it had really offended her. Oh, wow. And I learned a very important lesson even then. This yeah. was then a couple of months after graduating on uh, working with a team in a mm -hmm. veterinary practice and uh, how, as the leader, mm -hmm. uh, you were at the technicians, you had the receptionists, you had you know different people in different roles, yeah. of how to get us all working together to, to care for our patients. And uh, so that was a very early lesson mm. uh, early on. So being intentional about identifying roles and relationships in in the context of work versus outside of work is yeah, really helpful. Very important. Making sure that people understand, like, hey, we're working together on this. Um, we're friends, but you know, in the office when we're together. I do have this responsibility to make sure that the team is functioning well, and so there is a different relationship, and identifying that um, mm. seems really important. Yeah, I think um, personally, uh, I tend to um, fall into the category of wanting to really kind of support and hold my team closely and make them feel valued, and I've seen that sometimes that can be perceived as not holding firm expectations um, and when you work together for several years with somebody and you develop this sense of support and com camaraderie it can sometimes lead to situations where they might question um, your judgment in those those emergency situations where there's no time to sit down and have a team conversation on how to best go about the next step. Um, and so having that, having that definition of, hey, like in these situations, there needs to be somebody to step up and you know, that will be me and I'll be counting on you guys to be behind me. Yeah. Um, and do that. I think it's hard. Yeah. And you know, I think it's harder in a clinic situation when you like when you go to work with the government or in academia, and there you've got, it's a big organization, yeah. lots of people. You've got human resource departments. Mm -hmm. um, you have, for the most part, pretty uh, well-described jobs with roles and responsibilities yeah. laid out. They have a way of evaluation. Mm -hmm. So on an annual basis, you're evaluated in their and your boss is completing an evaluation of you, and you're completing an evaluation of your team. Yeah. And I can tell you, if uh, that can uh, bring you home real fast, is mm -hmm. to, and so uh, you know, especially if you're friends, and then an evaluation comes down where you've evaluated them, and there's an area they need to improve on. Yeah. Uh, and somehow that, you know, is articulated in there, they can, it can fall pretty hard, you know, and then they go, what? So, yeah. uh, how uh, that whole personnel mm -hmm. system deal and mm -hmm. how, whether anybody is ever evaluated or how it's done, mm -hmm. whether it's done in writing or whether it's done as a yearly sit-down or every, yeah. you know, every couple of months. How's it going? What's going well? What's not? You know, both ways and mm -hmm. sharing that. Um, that uh, also it can vary quite a bit from job to job. Yeah. And uh, but it, it's a very important part of yeah. this whole uh, work environment. Yeah. yeah, that's. I'm glad you brought that up because I think, especially when we work with friends, right? The day to day can feel kind of more kind of going with the flow and taking what's good and what's bad and working with it. And then there might not be as much impetus to point out areas for growth when you're managing somebody who you consider a friend because you don't want to have that awkward conversation with somebody who you have a relationship with. So there's a danger to kind of just let things slide until something like a formal evaluation comes up and then you're kind of you know, in a situation where you're giving them some feedback that maybe you haven't been able to talk about before. Right. So maybe having having that relationship 
as you said, be more open and having those kind of informal check-ins. How's it going? What's working? What's not working? And making that part of the normal routine can make it feel less scary. Because um, I, I have had feedback from people that I supervise that, you know, even though we have a good relationship and I've never yelled or gotten super upset or, um, you know, made them, you know, talked derogatively to them, even the act of getting called to the office um, can feel really kind of off-putting. So, and that doesn't necessarily have to do with the person who's the leader in that role. It could be something else that the person has experienced in their life that makes them feel that way. It's very hard. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think as you go through life, as you get older, mm-hmm. the situations where you are working, where your friends as well as working become mm-hmm. fewer and fewer. And, and it is, it's sometimes it's difficult enough that it, it depends on whether you put, in my view, you know, whether you're putting the working relationship or the friendship, yeah. which is the priority. Yeah. And it, sometimes it might mean that you just find jobs in different practices. Yeah. So you don't have that conflict. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, but, Again, it's very person dependent, mm-hmm. and you've got mm-hmm. the very special right people mm-hmm. who can chart their way through this. It works, but uh, it often can be just very, very difficult. Yeah, for, um, it just it makes it uh, unha- you know it's an unhappy situation for both. Yeah, to so nobody's fault. Right. Yeah, but it's just you know where you've got friendship as well as. Mm-hmm. as uh, professional relationship, yeah, uh, how it is. I think even with the young woman I was mentioning at CDC, I think even though we were friends, we weren't real, real close friends. Yeah. We weren't. And, uh, but we would do things socially together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, we, you know, we would have lunch together. I mean, you know, um, I liked her. She, we yeah. were very similar. I mean, it was great. Yeah. But it was very clear. And yeah. I did her evaluations and, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, there's, there was always that line. Yeah. You know, that was there. Sounds like having the, knowing where your personal boundaries are. Um, like if, if working with somebody who you're also very close friends with is causing friction in a personal relationship, um, because you're in a position to be overseeing them, maybe it, maybe that type of relationship isn't, isn't a healthy one for the clinic. And so making that decision of, you know, does it make sense for us to be working together? Yeah. In this, in this way. Um, because I think it's easier, somewhat easier to have friends that are on your same level, like, um, your peers, you know, friends that your peers, it's it's not the same, it's not the same relationship or expectation. There's a phrase that in leadership that things are lonely at the top, mm. and, and it is very true. Mm. Because whether I think whether you're meeting a small group or yeah. a division or a center or a whole agency or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you're the leader, there are some boundaries that are there if you're going to be an effective leader. Yeah. And um, and so, or, you know, the other phrase, if you want a friend, get a dog. It's <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, it just in leading a team effectively, sometimes the personal relationships can, uh, it's just, it's, again, if you've got the right people, it can yeah. work, but if conflict arises and it starts turning unhappy and whatnot, it's nobody's fault. It's yeah. just a very, uh, uh, it's just a very difficult yeah. thing. And I, you know, out of vet school when I was so young and then the vet, te- we were all the same age, it definitely happened there. But it, as I got older mm-hmm. and, um, then the people who were working for me were still young. They were younger, yeah. but I was older. Yeah. And then, so, but, and it didn't, it, it, the same type of thing didn't mm, happen. Yeah. As, as, yeah. it was really easy for it to happen right yeah. out of that school. But as, as, uh, through the years, it, it was less so. Yeah. It makes sense. Like, there's unique 
challenges to being a recent grad and taking a role as a veterinarian in practice. I mean, you, you are brand new and you're young. And um, as a veterinarian, even if you're not in a leadership role in a clinic, you are seen as Here's some a leader of a yeah. team caring for a patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from the get-go, you are a leader you and are. you may be working with licensed techs or assistants who may be the same age or older as you they might have more experience and so being able to bring that sense of leadership at the same time as working with people that are so close can be challenging yeah yeah, yeah. and you know too and then you know people get married and they mm-hmm. have families and then there's that whole dimension of yeah of people's lives that are in and then that can Again, that can alter, you know, uh, how the whole sphere mm-hmm. of friendship versus strictly professional. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so all of that comes into play, too, yeah. as, as people go through their lives. Yeah. It seems like the, I mean, the theme of listening and respect and keeping your calm, those ideas are things that are seen in general in leaders and when we are um, fresh out of school sometimes we can be a little bit you know nervous we're wanting to prove ourselves um, we're afraid to ask questions or listen or ask for input and um, we're more reactive when stressful situations yeah. come up right. yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe that philosophy of you know listening and keeping your calm and respecting others, keeping those ideas close at heart and reminding ourselves that these are the key, some of the key qualities of leaders that um, tend to arise as we navigate our early careers, just, just finding ways that we can incorporate that more. But I really had a hankering to do international veterinary medicine mm. and uh, so I decided to go to graduate school and uh, so enrolled in a, a program at UC Davis uh, the Masters of Preventive Veterinary Medicine program and uh, ultimately that uh, brought me to do a PhD which yeah. I hadn't ever planned on really it was just this progression of opportunities that mm. came up and getting more clarity on what I wanted to do, so I ended up getting a master's and a PhD degree, and then moving into academia, where I decided I wanted to go work at CDC, Yeah. and so uh, and I wanted to be on the forefront of public health, and uh, so I applied to the uh, Epidemic Intelligence Service, and got in, and uh, there found that there you work in teams, you work with the, either in an activity or a branch or yeah. a division, and um, generally there's a branch chief or the, there's a division director. Of course, when you start at CBC, you're on staff, yeah. so you're at the low end of the totem pole, <laughs> and uh, so you learn how to be a team member, yeah. right, where you're not the one necessarily setting the agenda yeah. or in charge of the resources. But you have a very important job to do, and of course I loved it. And yeah. uh, uh, so I uh, worked uh, in the field of uh, malaria for a while and HIV/AIDS. But I quickly found that as I that uh, I think people did recognize that I had uh, some leadership and management qualities, and so I did ultimately move into positions of leadership, the mm. uh, activity chief, or branch chief, and um, or uh, or actually the head of a, or of a team of people from across CDC to accomplish a goal or a mission. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say there that I learned, I learned a couple of important things personally yeah. in leadership. One was the importance of listening and uh, of uh, throwing out ideas, but from the get-go, having an opportunity to get the ideas of your team uh, so that ultimately what you decide to do as a team is a group. Yeah. It's a group decision, and you have everybody working toward a shared goal. Yeah. Uh, so important. Um, 
there was one example, again, this is where you learn what not to do, where uh, the, it wasn't even, the, the, uh, this was before I was a uh, branch chief, but the branch chief wanted to get a program of HIV surveillance up and going, and he asked me to put together some ideas. Mm. And so I did, and I put together a proposal and it had draft all over it, and it was just my ideas, because yeah. he had asked me for my ideas. And I shared it with him. Well, the next thing I know, he shares it with the entire branch and said, this is what we're gonna do. Oh, wow. And it, everybody was so angry yeah. at me. Yeah. Right? They thought that I had been the one to take yeah. my own ideas, and, and of course I hadn't at yeah. all. And I had said to my boss, you know, now this is just my ideas. You're going to get other people's reaction and right. other ideas, right? Yeah. Oh, yes, oh, yes. And then he just mm. did what he did. So that was where I learned, too, that you it is so important that no matter what role you are, if you have an idea that, and it always becomes a better idea mm. when you share it and you get the input yeah. and the thoughts of other people on the team. Yeah, it sounds like getting getting that varied perspective has a lot of different benefits. It helps people feel included and part of the overall plan, so they're more invested and they feel like they've contributed. Yeah. And then at the second time, you're also getting a varied perspective from people who might look at things differently. And exactly. so, as you shared, like the the project becomes stronger and the idea becomes stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, from that experience and especially mm -hmm. where I bore the brunt of, yeah. uh, of uh, that misstep that was taken by the branch chief, uh, I learned that a very important lesson early on. That yeah. You can come up with the uh, first idea, mm -hmm. but then make sure that everybody understands it is that. Yeah, it's an idea and it's not an a idea. plan. Now, sometimes when you're in a clinical setting, it's a little bit different depending, mm -hmm. you know, if you're in the middle of an emergency, right. you don't necessarily have time to sit down and get everybody's ideas, now we're going to do, you need to step. <laughs> yeah. But from that first uh, get-go, <laughs> it's always treat people with respect. Yeah. And, um, and actually, another thing happened in veterinary school that was a lesson learned for me was uh, when I was taking orthopedics in veterinary school, uh, Wade Brinker, who uh, at the time was the preeminent veterinary mm. uh, orthopedic surgeon, and uh, Wade Brinker was famous throughout the country. Mm. In fact, I was hired in my first job largely because I learned orthopedics from Dr. Brinker. Oh, wow. Well, we were, uh, were doing a surgery and uh, uh, working on a, a team, as a team on an orthopedic uh, case. And after the surgery, Dr. Brinker came out, and he always, uh, after the surgery, of course, there, he always took a radiograph after, as well as to compare mm -hmm. before, and he always, always would say, no, I should have done that. He always found something <laughs> that he could have done yeah. a little bit better, he, and even though it was sheer perfection as it was, <laughs> it was. He was amazing. And then one day, he... Uh, went to go pick up his toolbox mm. of his orthopedic instruments. Yeah. And whoever had set the toolbox on the cart had not latched it oh. properly. And so when he picked it up, oh. everything flew all over the place. Wow. All the instruments and the screws and all the stuff. Yeah. And he very calmly said, you know, I should have double-checked to make sure it was latched before I picked it up. Mm. He did not lose it. He didn't say who put that thing on the cart. Yeah. Who, why didn't you latch it? He did not turn outward at all. He was just as calm as could be, and he was so gentle. Yeah. And, and again, it was a great example in a highly stressful situation, and where something went wrong, the leader accepted what happened and just, you know, he said, this is what I could have done better yeah. to prevent it happening. Lesson learned. You know, these were, 
these are small examples of where I things would happen and I would pick them up and they became part of your yeah. leadership philosophy, as you will, yeah. of listen and treat people with respect and don't lose your cool. Yeah. Um, keep calm. Uh, and uh, that, you know, I really, and any time, I'm human, so there were times, of course, when these principles would come into play, but, you know, maybe I would show irritation. Mm -hmm. uh, it never went well. Yeah. You know, it really doesn't, it, it, it doesn't go well. Yeah. And uh, so it was always then a reminder. I'm going back to mm. these key people who taught me really important yeah. uh, leadership lessons. It sounds like you've, kind of, through your career, come across these recurring themes. Um, like you mentioned, listening and keeping calm. And I wonder, are those things that you kind of formally decided were part of your leadership philosophy early on? Or was it after you started to see them occur time and time again that you recognized the value? Well, I think, you know, as you were saying, in veterinary school, you're never taught these things. Yeah. You're not taught leadership. And uh, so these are things that you just would pick up and internalize. Mm -hmm. and, but I did see that when you're working with a group of people, to achieve a shared goal or vision, yeah. that these are the key things. It's not how you know how much medicine you know. Mm -hmm. It's not um, you know the stuff that that you are taught. It's some of the these person interpersonal skills yeah. and uh, management skills and uh, that help you be a more effective leader mm -hmm. and how you get people then who really want to go where you want to go. Yeah, you want to follow. Um, I guess, you know, because what you are trying to get to as a leader, and uh, again, since there was no formal training, you right. know, I read a lot of books, but well, one of the most important books was really The One Minute Manager, mm. um, and there it was, okay, so as the leader, you're the driver of the bus, and so you need to make sure that everybody is on their bus. Yeah. So listening and treating people, even though I thought I was treating everybody with respect, that's not how it was yeah. received. I, I learned that, how things are received can also can often be very different from what you are intending. Yeah. So uh, learning that and then how to, you know, get, get where it's not an emergency. So uh, whether you're coming up with a plan for working in a hospital or uh, whether you're working in a government agency and have a branch or a division or whatever mm -hmm. you're needing, of, of what it really does take them to have everybody believe in what they're doing and that they feel valued yeah. and part of the team. And that is one of the most important aspects of leadership yeah. is that. Yeah. I feel like... In clinical practice, sometimes we feel like we have to do it all. Like the veterinarian has to be the end all of decision making, or um, you know, can't really ask for help from other people. And what I'm hearing from you is that it is really valuable to involve different team members in those decision making um, opportunities when they come up, um, and. I wonder, is that something that you naturally did early on? Or is that something that, again, kind of like with the example of that emergency situation and snapping your fingers, you kind of learned by experience? I think it was mostly that because, you know, I didn't, even my career path, I never had a plan. Yeah. It, it was always, oh, this looks so interesting. I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. The opportunity came up and I did it. But, um, uh, um, you know, I think, uh, so, So, but as I found myself in place where I was leading mm -hmm. the group, and then you did, uh, and I read books and whatnot, where I did come to see that, you know, a lot of times on leadership, you're focused on what you can do as a leader, and really one of the most important things is to make your team feel valued. And mm. if they're not feeling valued or they're not learning themselves, they're not growing in their job, Yeah. then 
then they'll be unhappy and they won't have that same camaraderie and uh, it, they won't feel like, you know, we really want to see this be a success. Yeah. And so finding ways, so a lot of it is about the people that are working for you. Mm -hmm. and it's, so what opportunities for advancement yeah. do they have for learning? Um, and do they have roles? There were a number of times, uh, you're reminding me now because it's been so many years mm -hmm. where I did feel, oh, geez, you know, this is really important. I just feel like I have to do this myself yeah. because uh, th uh, then I know it'll be done like I want it to be yeah. done. It was very damaging behavior to a team where yeah. the, if you, as an effective leader, and if you're mentoring, and if you're bringing your uh, group along, then you should be able to delegate yeah. and reward them for really great work. Mm -hmm. It is less work for you, mm -hmm. and getting to the mindfulness aspects of stress, like lowering your own stress yeah. level, and uh, in having a group of people, your team then, who uh, are carrying out their roles effectively. Then they feel good, and you feel good. Uh, I think managing up, you know, I had come to learn, especially in the government where there's a big hierarchy, uh, when you're working as a team member, mm -hmm. uh, the best thing you can do is make your boss look good. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you do a really good job, and they look good, yeah. Boy, that is great because then they're happy mm -hmm. and then they reward you mm -hmm. and it's a really good thing. If if as an individual in a task, if you screw up and then they don't look good, that's not a good day. Yeah. And so, um, uh, but as a leader then, um, creating the an enabling environment yeah. where your staff can they're in a position to make you look good. Yeah. Right? Then then that's what uh, one is uh, trying to achieve. Yeah. yeah. I'm really glad that you mentioned that creating opportunities for the team and being okay with delegating because I think that's one thing that has been difficult for me personally. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the idea of I just want it done right so I'll do it myself. I feel like another theme for me has been it'll take too long to, to teach somebody or walk them through, and I'm so busy, let me just get it done so I can move on to the next task. And um, it seems like when we do those kinds of things, we lose the opportunity to elevate team members by spending a few extra minutes yeah. and, and giving them that opportunity to grow. Um, because I think turnover in private practice, clinical practice, is a challenge with support staff because... Um, there aren't a lot of opportunities to move up. Um, there's vet assistants, technicians. Um, there might be an, a lead LVT in the clinic yeah. if you're large enough. Um, but beyond that, there's really no opportunity to grow within a specific role. So um, I guess traditionally, yeah. um, but there could be opportunity to create opportunities for growth um, in skill development or yeah. minor leadership roles that don't necessarily translate to a specific different role, but maybe those those lead lead roles with certain projects and giving people more ownership. Yeah, no, so. that's really you know once you can do it a few times, you know, but over uh, over time, if one continues to not delegate, yeah. And, uh, and to just do everything yourself, they'll they'll get bored. They'll yeah. resent the the staff will come to be resentful, and you're not going to have an effective team that way. Yeah. So it really, it really pays to uh, to look out for your team. Yeah, and it seems like coming back to this theme of working within a close knit team where people are friends and really know each other and. Um, I know many clinics consider themselves like family members. Um, yeah. It seems like there is this opportunity to know people really well. So um, like you're saying, to listen and ask questions about what people are interested in yeah. so that they can share where they'd like to grow and give them that opportunity um, can be a really valuable thing to do. And, you know, and I don't know if, it, and I 
never again I uh, because when you leave pra- clinical practice and you go into things like academia or government yeah. it's a different scenario yeah. um, and I really don't know if over the long haul you can really be close close friends mm-hmm. with the people that you're supervising yeah um, and uh, sometimes you can it takes I think extraordinary people over the long haul to make yeah. that work um, I did have um, uh, at CDC I was a branch chief uh, for um, a special project where mm. I was working on what we call the guide to community preventive services and um, I was the team lead and I hired three uh, epidemiologists who were on the group and we had some other people too so we had a, a manager and uh, whatnot and one of the epidemiologists was a friend mm-hmm. she, she and her husband were a friend they were she was quite a bit younger than me um, and uh, and she was wonderful but and we got we did it but it was she was special yeah. because she realized that she was very clear that I was her boss mm. and so she was uh, she actually went on as I left CDC, whatever, she she ascended. She, <laughs> she was really a talented uh, uh, a talented woman. Um, but she was so great on that because she said, you know, Marguerite, you're my boss. And she separated. And when we were at work, I was her boss. And, but, and her job was to make me look good. Mm-hmm. She would have said, my job, Marguerite, is to do a good job <laughs> so you look good. And Aww. she did. Yeah, right? she yeah. did. She was great. And, uh, of course, my job then, it was... I had, you know, to make sure mm-hmm. that uh, that I treated her with respect and yeah. that um, and that I didn't do anything that would be perceived uh, otherwise. So yeah. you've mentioned the one minute one minute manager one minute manager a couple yeah. Of times. Yeah. yeah. Are there any other re- resources or books that you've read that you would recommend? Oh, they're all out yeah. there, you know. There's good to great, and um, but you know, and it, again, it happened early because you know you've got a lot on your plate, and yeah. You've got a lot, so you don't have a lot of time to be reading all these self help books. And that's why that one minute manager, yeah, it was like, yeah, it's it like perfect. Right there, you know? And it, and, uh, and even some of the challenges that I ran into over, the, you could, yeah, not everybody was on the bus, you mm-hmm. know. And what could I have done differently? Yeah. Uh, Sometimes there were things that were out of my control mm-hmm. that people, all people weren't on the bus. Yeah. Then, but it was like, well, is there anything I could have done differently then? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, no, a lot of these, the, the leadership books that are out yeah. there, are, you know, Cubby, Seven, Becky. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're all good. Yeah. And you learn a lot by doing it. Um, practicing is important. Mm-hmm. And, uh you know, I think a key thing, too, there's leadership and management. You know, leadership, yeah, so you definitely want the vision thing mm-hmm. and have an idea of where you're going and shared goals and all of that. But a lot of leadership is management and yeah. being able to deliver. And so being an effective manager, uh, which, again, nothing really is taught yeah. in that school about that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really important once yeah. you leave went to leave school and you're out and working. Yeah, that managing a team towards a goal and knowing that there are things that you need to accomplish and having that one person to be, you know, making those decisions and overseeing things um, can feel a little bit different than um, working together on the same level and all having input and being able to kind of feel like it's a across the across the team decision. So I like what you said earlier about defining roles and roles just, and responsibilities. Yeah. So there's a whole movement out there. Uh, uh, I think it actually was the Canadians where they actually because I've always been interested in multidisciplinary collaboration. Yeah, and uh, and the Canadians. Uh, they formed a working group that looked at interdisciplinary teams, but as it related to mm-hmm. as it relates to practical medical practice, mm. where by uh, 
of having you know physicians and nurses and physical therapists and uh, and uh, pharmacists and the, uh, uh, clinical pathologists. You know they're all part of the the team that have to work together to uh, deliver more effective medicine. Yeah. And they actually then came up with what are the they came up with seven, you know, I guess these are the four or five main areas and these are the goals like within each. Mm. And um, so a lot of it really is uh, uh, understanding roles and re clarifying yeah. uh, roles and responsibilities and dealing with conflict. Yeah. And those are two of the most important attributes out there that are really needed when you think about how can we deliver better medicine. Yeah. But even out of that environment, it's how, you know, how uh, understanding roles and responsibilities and conflict, you know, mm -hmm. there are other things too, you know, communication was another key one. Um, uh, I'd have to think about yeah. some of the others or I could find a reference for you. But the, uh, uh, that, they apply across the board, no matter yeah. whether you're working on a patient or whether you're working in a, on a plan as part of a, you know, a doing strategic planning or doing program management mm -hmm. or whatever it is mm -hmm. where you're bringing together different uh, team members and trying to deliver something yeah. that's uh, good. It, it's across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um. My interpersonal skills are really important. This captures all of it. It's mm -hmm. A lot of people will say, well, interpersonal skills are important. So, you know, somebody's applying for jobs and, well, how do they get along with people? But it's more than that. It's mm -hmm. um, uh, really uh, understanding, you know, how you get along with people really requires uh, so much more of give and take. And, uh, but it, when you're the leader, uh, then you're the one who sets the tone. Yeah. And uh, uh, and that, so it's really important. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's opportunities to learn as you grow in your role, you know, as you're coming out, you're a veterinarian, you're kind of learning what the dynamics are in the clinic. Maybe you are in a leadership position, um, supervising people, um, and finding out what the dynamic is, and then also, you know, if you have been, um, you know, not as strong of a leader, because, um, you know, I know many of us don't come out with those qualities, and maybe we've been trying to do our best, and there's some things that we know that aren't working at the clinic um, that we'd like to see change, and um, it seems like a common thing that happens with some people is, you know, um, people showing up late to work or something like that. Um, well, and there, you know, that example in the clinic, so what makes it, again, challenging is if you're an associate veterinarian and you're not the practice yeah. owner. So if you see something that, you know, you have to manage up as yeah. well as manage down. And so, uh, you know, uh, you can see about, uh, you know, does the person you're working for are they asking for your opinions? Are they? Yeah. How are they looking out for you? You know, yeah. it's like. Uh, and then, uh, uh, can you bring about if you see something mm -hmm. that you think really could be improved? Mm -hmm. Of how to bring that about? And yeah. If they're not interested or not willing, then it may ultimately you can try. Mm -hmm. You know, you try for a while, mm -hmm. but ultimately it's their practice, and if they're not open. Like well, I guess I need to go work someplace yeah. else. I think that's um, you know that's another thing that uh, uh, you know I did do a lot at CDC, but part of it was uh, you know where you would get in situations where you really weren't in sync with the leader. Mm -hmm. You had your own activity, or whatever, but you were part of a bigger group, mm -hmm. and you really saw things differently mm -hmm. than the leader, and so, in the government anyways, you had to do what that person wanted to do, yeah. and you could talk with them, you could see about doing things differently, but ultimately it was their call, and then you did a lot of internal reflection, it's like, well, how happy am I in this job, mm -hmm. and 
if you're not seeing things change, and it's really critical if mm-hmm. you see it, then it's like, well, I guess I need to work for a different job. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I did that. Yeah. You know? Um, I know sometimes we feel like we it's our responsibility to stick it out. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's not always the best the best answer. Um, well, you give it the good old college try, and you try, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you, you know, there's uh, very much, you know, you want to be able to stay in jobs for some period of time, no matter what, Yeah. because um, it's not good to go from job to job to yeah. job, so you have to get in there, and you have to try, but, you know, after years, and depending if, if you and whoever you're reporting to are definitely on different pages, yeah. and it's really not coming together. Mm-hmm. Then, in the end, if it's if they're like if it's their practice, or if they're the division director, and you're a branch chief, or if mm-hmm. you're on staff, and mm-hmm. it's, it's like, and they're staying, yeah, uh, you can save a lot of grief by saying, you know, mm-hmm. I think maybe we just look for something different. Yeah. yeah. What are what are some of the things that might be important in those conversations that you're having? with someone, whether it's directly with a person who might be having that behavior, like let's use the example again of somebody showing up late for work, right? Mm -hmm. You you might not be, you could either be the person overseeing that person and be in a position to have that conversation directly, or you might have to go to your, to the person who is the supervisor and say, hey, Joe isn't showing up to work on time and it's really causing an issue. What are some of the things that can be helpful in that conversation? Well, again, it depends on people. So, yeah. you know, and how well you know. I mean, if if it's a friend, you know, mm-hmm. on the first level, you know, you could just say, you know, you know, I've noticed, you know, you're coming into work late, is there something going on? Mm-hmm. Some issue in your life, something I can help you with? Yeah. Or, you know, is there something because it really is leading to, you know, um, um, care issues or yeah. whatever and so you could raise it at that level mm. very early on yeah. and see what comes out of that conversation if they continue to be late then if the practice is big enough and mm-hmm. if there is a, you know, uh, a manager a yeah. practice manager you could then after that first where you've been heads up you can mm-hmm. um, you could then go to that person and say, you know, I've tried and yeah. this person's still coming in late is, is really causing some issues. Yeah. And uh, then let them handle it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when I was in practice, uh, the, again, the very few number of women who were practitioners at that point in time, we would get together yeah. and just kind of talk about these things and mm-hmm. how we handle them and how somebody else. When I was at UC Davis and assistant professor there, there were other women assistant professors that we, we would get together on a regular basis yeah. and talk about these things. Uh-huh. And yeah, so finding that support group for yourself. For um, yourself. Yeah. You know, and you could say, well, I'm working with so-and-so and she's a friend, but now whatever, what should I do? Yeah. And would get other, uh, how other people yeah. have handled it. And that was very important. Yeah, really, really, really important. Yeah, it seems it goes back to that that listening piece and looking for different perspectives. Is really and where just, do you go when yeah. you're a leader? Who can you go to? You can't you can't complain to yeah uh, to to the people who are working yeah. for you. Yeah, no, and that, that doesn't work. Yeah, that you seems like that. that would be a danger too with friends, right? Because you might have something that happens at work that now, you know, you're sitting at home and calling your friend who might also be at the clinic and you can't do that as a, as, as a leader, as a manager no. of a team. You can't, no. yeah, you, you can't be doing do that. that. No. Yeah, so finding a safe and appropriate finding support system. Finding peers for the support yeah. system. Very important. Yeah. Extremely important. Yeah, that seems really critical because um, mm-hmm. you know there's drama in every team and every clinic and if you're in a position where you're leading but also friends you can run into situations where you would normally have that person to talk to about things but now they're part of the clinic and so looking for that support system right and maybe that's somewhere where social media 
can help. You know, there's so many ways to connect now with different people, um, you know, who are doing similar things, you know, reaching out and finding finding an appropriate support group of people to talk to when those things do come yeah. up. Yeah, well, it certainly might be easier, you know, because now it used to be right before there was all of that, you would find a couple of people within the city or yeah. you know, whatever, and then you'd get together at someone's home on a night. But now, you know, you can connect across the country, really. And in the end, I still think finding yeah. some like-minded peers in mm -hmm. that area, mm -hmm. doing a meetup or something, yeah. and, and uh, getting that going is probably a better bet. Yeah, finding finding people to get together with regularly to just talk about these things because we all it all it happens to all of us. That's why we're having this conversation today. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. something that affects so many people. Right. So we're all we're all experiencing some level of navigating this role of leadership in 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 teams and looking for others to kind of just talk to where you can feel like you have a safe space and it doesn't right. have to be an, an inappropriate situation where. You know, your, your close-knit friends are also working with you and, you know, oh, now I can't talk to anybody about what's happening. It, it can go both ways, right? You shut down because you're, you feel like you don't have anyone or you, you know, are inappropriately sharing with people who are also on the team with friends and creating more of that kind of toxic environment. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that kind of inspires me to, like, look around. And I see. Would encourage that. Yeah, it, it played a really important role in multiple. Yeah, in multiple sense. Well, I feel like we've had a really great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Sure. This has been great. Yeah. Um, is I there anything great. else that you feel like um, you'd like to you'd like to include? No, I think I think what you're doing is great, and you know. Well, thank you so thank very you. much. Yeah, it's been my great. Pleasure. I really yeah. appreciate all your time. It was yeah. great talking with you. Well, it's a great uh, project. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, trying to help as many yeah. uh, women uh, coming out as possible. Yeah. These things are not taught in the Yeah. Space, so yeah. Finding really ways to share share input, share experience, and, and just create conversations and help people move forward in their careers. So yeah. thank you so much for being a part of it. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Ready Vet Go, Living Your Best Veterinary Life. This podcast was brought to you by the Washington State Veterinary Medical Association and the 2018-2019 Power of 10 Leadership Class. You can find additional resources on this topic by visiting the WSBMA website at wsbma.org. Click on Resources and then Ready, Vet, Go. Tune in to the other podcasts in this series where we cover client education, work-life balance, feedback fortitude, compassion fatigue, mindfulness tools, and financial health.